Welcome to the meditation podcast. We unofficially seem to have called it that. Um, I think we're going to start doing Q and A then. <laughs> Apparently. Um. Okay. So I'm Izzy. I'm Hamish. And we are the meditators. <laughs> anyway, um, we are going to chat a bit about meditation and mindfulness. Yes, and we are. we're going to start by doing a little Q&A with each other just to introduce each other and our experience of meditation and why we started a practice in the first place. So, do you want me to ask the first question? Yeah, you have the sheet, don't you? Okay. Okay. So, Hamish. Haim Hambo. When did you start meditating? Um, I think I first started meditating when I was about 18. And I started off after a... I was recommended to read the Mindfulness Finding Peace in a Frantic World book by Mark Williams and Danny Penman. And in the book, it was a fantastic book actually, and in the book, it also had an accompanying CD, which had an eight-week mindfulness course. Uh, and that was the first time I actually started practicing. So I, I did the eight-week course. And then I think I continued on also after for a while after the eight-week course, um, using, you know, some of the different practices I'd learned from that, from that eight-week course. And, and then eventually, I think I got to the point where I... I had a bit of a break from it for whatever reason uh and then i think probably picked it up again at some point but then not long after that i then got into headspace the app classic (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah and then i was using headspace for yeah probably well a couple of years on and off um but to be honest i wouldn't you know I, i never actually meditated from probably more than about six months at a time before maybe then I had a break or lost a bit of interest or whatever, moved on to something else, you know, tried something else for a bit. Um, but, you know, since then, obviously now I'm 24, so six years, over the past six years, there's always been times where I've eventually then come back to it. Um, yeah, which is, you know, very interesting because... I think sometimes you do, it does become almost a bit stale and then maybe you have a break. But then, you know, for me, it seems that it is something I definitely do value because then after a while of not doing it, I start to miss it and then feel re-energized and more motivated to to try it again. So, yeah, so I've, yeah, used various different um, books and apps. And now in the past year or so, I've actually now started using 10% Happier which is really good at. Um, I really like that, actually. And it was actually you is, that got me into that app because you mentioned about Joseph Goldstein's podcast uh, on on the Apple Podcast app. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, probably, yeah, it's probably a year or so ago when you talked about Joseph. I'd never heard of him. Well, I'd listened to the podcast and then I told you about him. I think you'd listened to the podcast or you just told me about him because you'd come across him. And I'd never come across him, and you know, same with people like Sharon and and all of that lot, and Dan Harris and everyone. In fact, or maybe it was that you'd read the book. I think you'd read Ten Percent Happier, 
or mm. um okay this is what dan does on his podcast so i think we should do the same when we say like different names <laughs> you know what i mean because it is confusing okay yeah no true so just explain some of what Hayne said there so um i feel like dan <laughs> <laughs> but ten, ten so headspace is a really classic like um meditation mindfulness app it's um was set up by Andy Puddicombe, is that yeah, how you pronounce yeah. it? Oh, like yeah, who um who was a monk for quite a long time and then he um he he came back to live in the West and set up an app teaching people how to meditate and then Ten Percent Happier is another app um but by a guy called Dan Harris who's an ABC news reporter who had a panic attack on live television and um as a result of sort of prolonged stress from overworking um and he then got into meditation and he wrote a book called 10 Percent happier and he also set up this app um and then joseph goldstein is a um buddhist meditation teacher who teaches mindfulness meditation in the insight meditation tradition um and he set up uh, the insight meditation society also known as ims in america which was co-founded with another teacher who Hamish mentioned called Sharon Salzberg um, and Jack Cornfield. And also, also Jack Cornfield, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. There's a bit of the background on some of those terms. Mm. But, yeah, Joseph and Sharon are, like, Hamish and I's favourite, probably one of our favourite, te- some of our favourite teachers. Yeah, no, definitely. They, it's since I've come across them in the past year or so, since you told me about them, they've... Yeah, I've been reading about them loads, and they're really good. They are really excellent. Mm. Uh, and IMS as well, as as you mentioned, is a great place in America, in Barry, Massachusetts, mm. uh, and it's also affiliated in with uh, Gaia House, which is down in Newton Abbott in in Devon in the UK. Um, so, for meditation retreats closer to home in the UK, that's that's a really good option down there. Yeah, so. Mm. And that's sort of where I'm at today. I now practice with 10% Happier app um, pretty much every day. And over the past year, actually, I realised, I just checked the other day, looked at my stats, I'd, I'd, uh, I've done the best part of nine or ten months. So meditated to, for the majority of the past year, mm. which, yeah, it's been really nice. And obviously, with everything that's been going on, it's been uh, very helpful, very useful. Mm. So, How about you? How did you get into it? So, I also think I started, I actually think you got me into it, mm. because I think, um, well, when, so you start, you said you started doing Headspace probably when you were like 19, mm. after the book, mm. and so I would have been about 15 then, so that would have made sense, because I would have, that's when I think I first started, so I think you told me about Headspace, and then, um... Yeah, I just started doing sort of some of the short meditations on that, like 10, 20 minutes. And I think I kind of really got into a good habit. I like really liked seeing the little streak of sort of the days that you'd build up. So I really enjoyed doing it every day. Mm. I think I'd had the odd day here and there that I missed. But actually, I think for for like quite a long time, I did it every day because I, I liked sort of accumulating the days. Mm. Um I think looking back, I was probably 
it was kind of like I, I was very much a surface level practice back then I kind of was very much just pro- using it more just out of curiosity and interest and also just for some relaxation um and yeah then I think I I I, I definitely didn't do it for a, a long time then I don't think or I did it intimate quite intermittently um and sort of would dip into headspace every now and then and then I think as I started to maybe feel a bit more stress at school and stuff like that, when exams picked up when I was probably about 17, 18, um, I then sort of turned back to it a bit more. Um, and then kind of since then established more of a regular routine, um, still kind of just using headspace. And then in, well, January, uh, this year, yeah, 2020, well, last year now, um, which is weird. Hmm. I did my, I just have gradually become more and more interested in the topic and also the philosophy behind the practice, um, so not just the practice itself. But um, then I decided to take my teacher training in January to learn more about the practice and also learn how to teach other people. Um, and I finished that in in sort of March, April time and um and since then my practice has kind of become more less kind of guided on actual apps like headspace and more just my own practice um so it can vary from day to day but kind of it's very much a self-led practice now but I still use the apps actually every now and then because I find the guidance really useful hmm. um and yeah then I've I've just recently been teaching my first five-week meditation courses so I'm really enjoying teaching other people but um also sort of continue with my own daily practice now so and yeah it's a real real kind of I don't know what the right word is you know like rock that kind of thing mm. um, foundation yeah real foundation in in my day um and I'd say I'm kind of at the point where I actually want and I think you're maybe a similar like want to explore it even further now mm, definitely I like, feel like you've sort of really got into it and then want to go even further so mm. um, yeah extending the amount of time also perhaps going on a retreat where we can spend more time you know just doing it more continuously mm. because yeah there's definitely you know I think there's definitely aspects that you can't experience necessarily until you have actually enough time to go a bit mm. further into it and mm. you know do a bit more practicing continuously mm. so. yeah and i'm sure we can go into all of these topics in a lot more detail probably absolutely <laughs> there's plenty to say here <laughs> um okay cool i think that's probably covered it nicely yeah i reckon so just about just about I'll just scratch the surface. So um, people probably nodded off. By yeah, now. exactly. Um, okay, so I thought what we could chat about nice basic topic. Um, well, same basic, but it's actually yeah. The Dive thing with meditation is, and which is as we said earlier, Sharon, who's Sharon Salzberg. She, I think it's her quote, isn't it, that it's simple but not easy. Mm. And it is one of those well, things. Well, yeah, there a lot of them say that. Joseph says that as well. Yeah, that it's a very simple thing in practice, but the nature of being human means it's not an easy thing to to do. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, I thought we could talk about what actually is meditation. Mm. Um, and I thought as a as a sort of structure to that, we could go through the three foundations really of meditation, which Sharon actually also lays out in her book, Real Happiness. Mm. Quick little plug there for Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> Be expecting one back on her podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unconditional love and all that. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, so the three the three bits of mindfulness I thought we could talk um, meditation, sorry, which are mindfulness, concentration, and loving kindness. Mm. So, should we start with the first? What should we start with first? Mindfulness, probably. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, go on then, home. Kick us off. Well, I actually, wrote, I think I wrote down. Oh yeah. So the difference between mindfulness and meditation. So what's your interpretation on that? Because I think that's a thing a lot of people... Yeah, no, yeah. Well, I was actually interested by what you had to say about that because when you said that last night, genuinely. So what, were you, what would you... How would you differentiate the two? Um, well, someone actually asked me this question on one of my courses and I thought it was a really good question to ask mm. um, because I think mindfulness has become a bit of a buzzword now. You know, people just say, oh, mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness this, mindfulness that. And yeah, it's no, almost definitely. like you just, lo- it loses its meaning. Mm. Um, I think that the difference between mindfulness and meditation, a really nice um, analogy that I heard um, is that mindfulness is, I'm going to have to try and, I'm going to have to think to try and get this the right way around. So med- mindfulness is like your fitness. So mm. if you think of it in terms of, physical side of things Mm. mindfulness is your fitness level and meditation is like the gym okay does that make sense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so like in terms of a mental fitness mindfulness is the level of mental fitness and then meditation is almost like the training ground which you practice your mindfulness okay so is it like formal versus informal in a way yeah because Mindfulness, the way I see it, can be kind of in operation in every aspect of our experience. Yeah, yeah. Whether we are awake, as, whether we're sort of awake living in the world or awake in meditation. Mm. Um, but but often, a lot of the time in, in the world, we fall asleep in terms of... Come lost in the daydream of our thoughts and... Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, and we mind wander and everything. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I would say meditation is more of a, a formal practice that mm. you you do. You not always necessarily, but usually sit down, close your eyes, maybe focus on your breath or something like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, lots of variations. And I think mindfulness is the state of mind that we're trying to cultivate in meditation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, I, I, the way I think about it is that because there is a thing as you know, such a thing as mindfulness meditation. So I say that perhaps one of the easiest ways to distinguish between the two is that meditation is more of a formal practice, whereas mm-hmm. mindfulness is something you can practice in a formal practice, i.e., mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. But you can also very much practice it off the cushion you know, informally in day-to-day life. Hmm. Um, and I think that definitely the best the best definition for 
mindfulness that I've come across that I think is just very much transferable to so many different scenarios, situations, is John Kabat-Zinn's um, definition, which is something like the awareness that arises out of paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. Mm. Um, I think that's pretty much it, word for word. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I did do my leaflet on it, didn't I, at the end of it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I think that that's a really nice definition of mindfulness. It's very applicable to so many different, as I say, situations mm. in life. Um, and, yeah, absolutely, mindfulness is something you can practice essentially in any moment mm. of your day, of your life, whereas meditation is more of a formal practice really where it's something, you know, it's more, more of an opportunity, I think, also to delve a little bit deeper into your own experience mm. of of your life and and of being, as you said, as being human being, human mm. being, being, you know, being a living person. Mm. And I think what you said there is quite um, true about the informal um, and off-the-cushion meaning when when we say off the cushion we mean sort of when you're not meditating because typically people may sit on a cushion to meditate mm. um although it's you, more it's it's a it's a generic term yeah it's doesn't like, mean you have to sit on exactly a <laughs> it's we'll like allow us sitting yeah. on a chair <laughs> <laughs> just it's like sort of saying off the mat in yoga yeah exactly it's sort of an expression but i think the nice thing is that you can practice mindfulness anytime, anywhere. So you mm. can be mindfully taking your dog for a walk. You can be mindful of um, of going to work. You know, driving to work. You can you can be mindful of emotions, like mindful of your anger or your sadness. Mm. Mindfulness, essentially, as Hamish said, is just being aware, um, rather than being lost in whatever's going on, it's sort of taking that step back and having that objectivity to be aware of what's going on mm. and, and, and reacting non-judgmentally. Um, quite a nice saying is respond, not react. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think that's what mindfulness allows you to do. And I think the formal practice of meditation allows you to um, turn your attention towards cultivating more mindfulness in perhaps like a more disciplined way mm. um definitely okay so then so to be honest though it is sorry i was just going to say because it's one of these terms that is actually it can create a lot of confusion at times for people mm. because i think also when you start to practice mindfulness and meditation i think it's very easy to sort of you know start to think am i doing this right am i doing this wrong how should i be doing this you know is this being mindful and you can start to overanalyze, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, so I think actually also something that can be very useful when it comes to mindfulness and thinking about how to practice it in day-to-day -day life off the cushion um, is to to just notice if you can, through, as you go about your day, just how often you get lost in thinking, because that in general is you know, how we tend to operate as a default mode because mm. we tend to get lost in thought. Mm. And and one of the, you know, biggest ways of counteracting that, one of the best ways of counteracting that is to is to notice when you get lost in thought, notice when you're lost in thinking. It's not something you need to criticise yourself about, just to notice it. In fact, you can cr 
quite the opposite. You can congratulate when you notice, because that is such a key element of of meditation, of mindfulness. It's about noticing when you are lost in thought, noticing when you are distracted. And then you can bring yourself back into your five senses. I think that's a really useful way of, of practicing mindfulness off the cushion. So notice when you're lost in thought, congratulate yourself perhaps, and then try and bring yourself back into five senses or, or even just one of the five mm. senses. So, you know, what can you see in this very moment? What can you hear? What can you smell? What can you taste and what can you touch? Mm. You know, any, any of those, either one or five or however many you prefer. And that can be a great way of grounding yourself in the present moment. Yeah. And bringing yourself back. Yeah. No, thank you. That's all right. Very knowledgeable. Um, That's okay. what we're here for. Then the other aspect, which of meditation. So mm. we've talked about mindfulness and how that can... Um, obviously, we're, I think, it, yeah, we're trying to keep it as simple as possible. There is so much, that's the thing, there is so much you can say on these topics and mm. they can very quickly become confusing. Mm. But I think that's a nice point that you make and I think I've said that to you before too, if it gets too confusing, mm. just thinking about what your overall sort of objective is and why you're meditating and, and mm. that's going to be different for everyone but I think often it may be for greater peace of mind, for less mind-wandering, less time spent inside your head and more time spent in the world mm. um and i think if getting stressed about you know am i doing this right what is meditation well, i don't know what i'm meant to be doing mm. if that's causing more anxiety more stress more yeah it's defeating the object in many ways of why you're trying to engage with the practice exactly or, or in, you know interested in engaging with the practice and so i think if if that sort of line of inquiry does cause extra stress and panic in you mm. perhaps maybe just seeing if you can let some of that go and and just and just using that as feedback as to how you perhaps part of your personality or how your mind works when it receives this sort of information yeah um and seeing if you can perhaps if letting that go creates more peace more calm then that's perhaps the way for you um, and that is really really helpful just yeah. reminding yourself of your initial intention perhaps sort of coming yeah. back to your values and your intention as you say yeah as to why you actually were interested in this thing in the first place mm. uh, and then perhaps asking yourself is whatever you're doing in this particular moment actually helping you know helping to achieve or or, mm. or to um, move toward uh, making progress with your intention or is it actually doing the opposite because mm. you helped me enormously with that the other days and uh when we were on a walk, didn't you? And, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and, and because something that I found definitely has been one of my motivations to to get into meditation and mindfulness is to alleviate or to reduce anxiety, you know, to help find a bit more calm and, and peace. And you know, then I was, when we, when we went for a walk in the, on the way in the car, I was just thinking about all these different things to do with mindfulness and you know, how should I perhaps approach this? And is this quite right? And is that a good way of doing it? And da di da di da And, you know, and actually I realised after you, we chatted because you just said, hang on a sec, you know, what's the, the reason you're interested in this in the first place? And and we we spoke about that. And then, you know, you, you said, well, well, actually, is everything you're thinking about at the moment really helping you to relax? Or is it actually creating more stress and anxiety? You know, and as soon as you said that, it just became completely clear mm. 
that, you know, yeah, what is the point in, in th- you know, this is just overthinking mm. or it's not helping. It's not re- relieving anxiety. It's not helping me to, to relax and feel a bit more calm. So actually in that case, best to just let it go. Exactly. You know? yeah. or, or maybe think about it another time after I've sort of calmed down a bit with all of that. Mm. <laughs> Getting a bit intense. I think just quickly on that, I think that a certain level of sort of understanding of the concept and the skill is required to be able to carry out the practice. But I think once you've got that basic foundation, then I think a lot of the layers added on top of it are just overthinking. Mm, that's very and true. I think it's such a common human thing to try and like intellectualize something like meditation Mm. which is so ironic because we're actually through the practice trying to let those things fall away Mm. um so it's an interesting paradox because it almost starts to turn on itself yeah no definitely Um, but but it's a it's a it's something that's important to kind of experience and talk about because as you say it can just take talking to someone else Mm. for you then to realize oh yeah you know you just you wake up (laughs) Yeah, no, 100%, yeah. Okay. And actually, I was just going to say also, because that's where the idea of beginner's mind is really helpful. Mm. Because, and, and in fact, when I've had breaks from meditation in the past, that's often what I've found. Because often I've found that the time just before I perhaps decided to have a break, generally it's because I've, I've become so, you know, through my own doing in general, just I've overcomplicated things so much for myself. Mm. I've ended up with so much overthinking and extra analysis and, and judgment perhaps. And, you know, it, it becomes quite exhausting and actually also just really detracts from the motivation to want to perhaps sit down and practice. Yeah. And so what I've often found is then if I had a break for a bit, maybe a you know, week or two or a few months or whatever it's been, I then come back to the practice with a much clearer head, having mm-hmm. forgotten a lot of, a lot of what I was thinking about yeah, in the, the past. Baggage or, that comes yeah, with it. exactly. And it's just helped because it's meant that I've come back with a much more, um, you know, refreshed, refreshed motivation, mm. and had a lot more clarity and just found the practice a lot more easy again. Not that it, you know, by no means is it always easy, but that can be helpful sometimes if you if you feel it is all getting very overcomplicated and muddled to just have a break. And just just don't do it for a week or or a few days, or whatever it, whatever it takes. Because if you do find value in it, and if you do like doing it, and it's something you're interested in, then you know sooner rather than later you're gonna you're gonna become interested again, and you're going to want to try again mm. uh, because it's something that you you know do find interesting and you do value. So. Hmm. Okay. Um, I think that's probably covered my thoughts. <laughs> Oh, scratch the surface. Just, yeah. Um, no, but joking apart, in many ways, it has just scratched the surface oh, yeah, to some no, extent. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. There's there so is, much more. Yeah, so much that can be talked about. But that's why I love it, because it's like a sort of an endless learning. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, in the next aspect of meditation, um, out of the three things, the second is concentration. Oh, so, shit, I forgot we were even going through these. Yeah. So long ago. Well, we've got concentration and loving kindness. Yeah. So part two or or, or aspect two, mm. concentration. Mm. Um what is your take on 
how concentration fits into meditation. What is concentration in meditation? Well, I think concentration is actually quite, it is a very straightforward one to to sum up because it is ultimately, in my opinion anyway, my perspective, it's, it's trying to practice focusing on one particular object at a time and trying to sustain that focus for as long as possible. Um, Can you just explain to well, yeah, the listeners so, what you mean by object? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so very, very, um, very traditionally, you know, one of the objects that is used in our experience of, uh, of human, of being human is the breath. This is something that we always have with us. Um, also, it's quite useful because it's dynamic, so it's always changing, it's always in flux. Um, that reminded me of a bit of physics there. What, in flux? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, it's just one of the terms used oh. for um, uh, magnets, I think, isn't it? I don't know, um, I never did physics, <laughs> I dropped it after like a week. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, so so that's why it can also be very useful, because it's 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 constantly changing. Yeah. You know, with the in-breath, the out-breath, there's lots of different elements to the breath. And and so, hence, it's a very and and it's always with you. So, it, hence, it's it's probably the most used object. It's very accessible. Very accessible, exactly. Um, so, yeah, object is like the breath. It's anything that you focus your attention on, hmm. basically. Hmm. So, anything in life is an object. Can be an object. Hmm. So, uh, your breath can be an object. The feeling of your feet can be an object. But also, um the like the sight of a tree or the the sound of some music that mm. can be an object mm. um it's anything that you rest you choose to rest your attention on and so concentration meditation is essentially as Hamish said just purposefully focusing your attention on an object mm. or, and trying to sustain it yeah and so by that when the mind wanders, which it naturally will, you're going to get lost in a thought or mm. there's going to be a sound that distracts you or a sensation in the body or an emotion or a memory or anything because mm. that's just the nature of the mind. Um, instead of trying to stop that from happening, you just notice when it does, um, you know, in that moment where it's like that sort of light bulb moment almost, isn't it? When you mm. wake up and realise, oh, yeah, that's what I'm meant to be doing, meditating. Yeah, no, definitely. And that is what Sharon says a lot, is that's the magic moment. Because mm. that's when you have the opportunity to really behave differently mm. and to bring your attention back to the object. Exactly. Bring your um, your attention back to whatever you're choosing to focus on. Mm. Because in those moments in day-to-day -day life, often what happens is, you know, we, we try and focus on something. So, you know, let's just say we're focusing on reading a book. And then it can be the case that, you know, at some point we we get distracted by thoughts, mm. you know, but at the same time we sort of keep reading a bit. And it's, you know, I think everyone to some extent had the experience of where you've been reading a book and you've maybe got down halfway down a page and all of a sudden you've realised actually you haven't really taken in any of mm. of what you've just read on that page because at some point you've been distracted by thoughts. And so, you know, or something else, often thoughts. So. And so that's very much a key element of the practice is that mm. when you've, decided upon your object so let's say the breath you start to pay attention and trying to sustain your attention when you when you've 
when you've become distracted, it's then noticing that you've become distracted. And rather than letting that just continue to distract you, it's then making that that conscious decision to bring your attention back again to the object. Mm. And and ultimately that is what it is. That's the practice. Mm. Isn't it really? It's it's in terms of concentration, especially it's it's every time you notice that you've become distracted, just bringing your attention back again to the object mm. and just repeating that over and over and over. And hence, as you said earlier, is why you know it's simple, but it's not easy. The instructions are very simple. You know, pay attention to the object when you become distracted, notice when you become distracted, and bring your attention back to the object mm. and just do it over and over and over. And you know, so it is simple to explain but it is not easy and, mm. and that's why really it's you know that that is in itself a practice for a lifetime because you can spend a lifetime you know improving that and honing that skill you know and that's why it's called a practice because it's something you try it is a skill it's a mental skill and Absolutely. it requires practice time discipline patience and it's not just something that happens overnight but 100%. It's definitely something that is very powerful because the more you keep bringing your attention back to the present moment, to the object, mm. the the tendency for the mind to wander actually lessens. Mm. Um, it's almost like because you keep you keep bringing it back, it's almost a bit like the mind's like, oh well, I'm just not going to bother wandering off anymore. Yeah, no, definitely. You, you know, start to realize what you're trying to do. Present. You're just training the mind, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So the final aspect, which is sort of slightly different, because mindfulness and concentration kind of incorporate together. Mm. They're kind of, we won't go into this today, because <laughs> this is a whole other topic mm. about the sort of balance of mindfulness and concentration within um, within a practice. I mean, we've covered, we've covered what they are, mm. but it can... It's like it's a slightly deeper thing, isn't it, to talk about the interplay of them? Um, yeah. So I think we'll maybe leave we'll, we'll that today. Save that for episode, save that for episode two. Or three. Or, or, or yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to scare people off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the third aspect is um, loving kindness, mm. which is also known as well, sometimes known as compassion in buddhism the sanskrit is is it sanskrit or pali that's metta mm, not sure actually i know that one is metta and one is matri m-a-i-t-r-i okay and i, th- I think probably met- the sanskrit's metta i think sanskrit is metta and sanskrit's mm. the ancient indian language mm. and i think uh pali's the ancient tibetan language i want to say it could be i'm not i'm, I'm not, not sure we'll look sure that up and, and confirm we'll it in episode it in two notes. yeah <laughs> um but yeah, so also called by Dan Harris, friendliness, which I think is quite nice. What? Loving kindness? Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to explain on this? Do you want me to? No, you go. I'll explain concentration. Okay. So it is almost what it says on the tin, which is developing compassion, developing kindness. But I would say that if that immediately makes your nose turn up, and kind of makes you cringe that there is more to it um than perhaps what you may first kind of judge from that 
Um, I know for me that was personally very true because loving kindness for a long time was something that I was just like, oh, it, just, it doesn't work. Like, I'm just not interested in it. Mm. I just, it was more I just found it really hard because I found it very difficult to connect to. Mm. But I actually think that now compassion, loving kindness is one of my favourite practices, really. Mm. Um, and it's one that I really rely on um, because it's really helped to transform my relationship with how I see myself mm -hmm. um, and ultimately how I then see others mm. because there's that old Zen, good old, I think it's Zen, that saying, that, or it might just be a, a sort of a classic saying that you can't pour from an empty cup. And I think that that's, yeah, that's what, nice yeah, that's what compassion almost um, invites is is starting with that self compassion. Mm. And once you sort of relate to yourself in this compassionate way, then you can you can have this greater kindness and compassion for other people. Mm. Um, you know, it's very hard to expect to be kind and friendly and compassionate to others if we treat ourselves with such bitterness and adversity. No, definitely. Joseph told a good good story about um, sinking in the quicksand and he said if there's two people and they're both sinking in the quicksand, i.e. they're both struggling in life, then ultimately neither can really help the other because they can sort of hold hands perhaps but they're both still mm. sinking. <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah. if one of them finds stable ground, then, you know, perhaps through whatever it is but, you know, i.e. in many ways developing more self-compassion and finding more stability and, and contentment within themselves, then they're able to very much hopefully help the other person because they on stable ground can reach out to the other who's sinking and hopefully then be able to, to grab them and start to pull them out. Mm. Um, it's very true. Yeah, it's very true. It is really, really true. And, and it's also, just as a very quick aside, something that's so often um, neglected by people and, and, and also overlooked for a variety of reasons. But, um, but yeah, actually, but, and, and I think a lot of the time maybe it's not sure if it's just necessarily a British thing or cultural, you know, here in the West or, but we often maybe consider it a better option to try to help others first. Um, mm. You know, or at least it, maybe we see it as perhaps a bit selfish or, or, or just unnecessary to, to begin with. Or narcissistic. Or yeah, whatever it that's is. That's a word they often use, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. To begin by helping ourselves. But actually, mm. you know, really it's like, it's like charging your batteries exactly, up. Exactly. That's yeah. the best way of looking at it. You know, and you, you know, battery is pretty useless if it's not charged to, to support whatever it needs to go into. So, you know, in that sense, charging your own batteries up allows you to have as much mm energy as possible to hopefully then be able to try and help other people exactly and that's so important yeah um anyway yeah we, we, you were explaining about yeah well that they're kind of like that's sort of the i guess the motivations for the practice in a way um but then what the actual practice is um traditionally i mean there's so many different variations on each practice really but traditionally loving kindness or metta um rests on phrases um, of kindness and compassion mm. which you repeat in your in your mind using your sort of your inner voice and um, and traditionally sort of the classical phrases that emerge from Buddhism mm. um, are may I be safe may I be happy 
may I be healthy, may I live with ease. Hmm. And I think there's there's lots of other variations oh, yeah, yeah. Um, from that. May so, I be free from suffering, may I <laughs> accept myself as I am, um, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you, you sort of repeat those phrases to yourself uh, for for a moment of time, and and if you're using guided practice, then obviously the teacher will will guide you through this. Mm. Um, and then the phrases extend traditionally to a loved one, mm-hmm. so a benefactor or someone, a friend or a family member, or even a pet. I think that's quite a nice thing because mm. if perhaps there there maybe isn't someone in your life immediately that comes to mind. Um, then, then maybe an animal or, or just someone that cultivates feelings of, of love and happiness and joy. Mm. Um, so you send the phrases to them, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you live with ease. Mm. Um, and then to um, perhaps uh, someone you find a little difficult, mm. may you be happy, may you be healthy, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then to a neutral person, so mm. maybe... Uh, the postman or someone you sort of just see in the street or delivery man yeah lots of them at the moment exactly sort of someone that you don't really know but you don't have any sort of strong feelings of positivity or negativity towards them Mm. and then we extend compassion to all beings everywhere so everyone and everything on the planet and in the universe just everything just Mm. sending out this compassion may we all be happy may we all be safe healthy and live with ease Mm. Um, and that essentially is the practice. Um, I think a couple of things to say on terms of the phrases. Um, firstly, I think that they're not like a mantra. I think that's quite an easy thing to get hung up on. Um, you know, you don't have to sort of like, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be happy. Like, it's not sort of a... It's nice to have a flow to the way you say them, I find. It doesn't need to be chanted. Yeah, it doesn't. And not to say it can't be, if that works for you, by all means, go for it. But I think... um, Just experiment, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's more about inviting um, the feeling behind and the energy behind each phrase. Mm. So really trying to sort of get all your intention and all your energy behind each phrase and really focusing on each phrase. Mm. Hence, and hence where that, there's a, some overlaps with mindfulness there in terms of trying to just be present with each individual phrase one at a time. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, just to say as well, though, because Sharon also does emphasise, I think, don't get too hung up, though, on um, on... Sorry, I distracted you. <laughs> Don't get too hung up on trying to cultivate a particular feeling is what I was going to say. Mm. Because because as she says, for some people no, it might actually point. not be the case that you do feel a huge amount. And I think perhaps that's something that you maybe experienced a bit more um, when you were, you know, when you said is you didn't always get on with it initially so much. Mm. Because perhaps you just didn't feel... You know, maybe quite what you're hoping to feel or whatever. And of course, if you're then also coming into the practice hoping to feel something and you don't mm. maybe quite feel that, that then can only even more, you know, even further exaggerate your frustration. Mm. And of course, then it ends up almost becoming a bit defeatist in the sense of you can, you're actually just then feeling very frustrated and angry. Mm. So, so I think definitely, you know, it can, it, it can, of course, be the case that you can 
feel that sort of you know that 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 quality of love and kindness and warmth and compassion and that's you know excellent if you do and of course that's absolutely fine but equally it can be also very productive as a practice even if it's just sort of more neutral or of course you know even more difficult emotions may come up at times especially if you maybe you're focusing on the difficult person or a difficult you know um yeah difficult person difficult situation something like that that may bring up different emotions Mm. and that's absolutely fine i think that that's also yeah definitely something to emphasize is there's not there's not necessarily a right emotion or feeling to feel um yeah i think it's yeah as you say i think it's one of those things that actually the feeling starts to take care of itself Mm. with practice exactly and i think very much true that's what i experienced a bit was feeling very disconnected from it it almost just felt like these were phrases that i was saying and i don't know i just felt very cold towards them which doesn't which sounds awful but i think perhaps maybe a few people can empathize with that Mm. um i think a lot of people at times especially at times you know yeah when they make because also people might turn to this particular practice at a time when they are struggling with things Mm. more and of course that might be then a more difficult moment to maybe feel what they're hoping it will bring them immediately or anything or something Mm. like that and i think the thing is then with the practice a lot of a, a nice thing about loving kindness is a lot of it is about intention and relationship, I think. Mm. So firstly, having that intention to be kind, to be compassionate. Even if you don't feel it or you feel a lot of hatred, a lot of anger, a lot of aversion, Mm. just by having that intention to sit down and receive and send compassion, just that in itself, I think, causes something to shift. Yeah, definitely. I think you're absolutely right. And then I think also about relationship is it's a really useful one for helping you change your relationship to yourself and to others. Mm. Because um, I think Sharon told a nice story in her book, actually, Real Love, which is a lot of it's about self-compassion and compassion and loving kindness meditation. Mm. And she said how she felt very cold and disconnected from the phrases when she first started. But she did a week of intense meta loving kindness practice mm. on retreat and she then i think was had to go um go early because she had to go home for an emergency or something and she was in the bathroom at the airport and dropped something on the floor and it shattered everywhere like a glass or something mm. and her first thing that came into her head was oh you poor thing you're really tired like you've had an intense week Mm. it'll be okay like just clean it up and then you'll be able to get going Mm. you know and she just said that was the first time that kind of because you know immediately the immediate response would be stress anger sort of oh why have you done this again like Mm, you idiot exactly yeah yeah. get on with it or just leave it and run or whatever Mm. (laughs) but that her first reaction was this compassion for herself Mm. and she said that would really was the first time it struck her because she was going to her teachers all week saying, it's not working, it's not working, what am I meant to be doing? Mm. And actually, I think that's just a nice indicator of how the practice starts to take care of itself. Absolutely. You just need to sort of keep keep practicing, really. Um, Yeah, making the commitment ultimately is... The effort, yeah. Yeah, is is in many ways, yeah, a fantastic way to start. Mm. If you make the commitment, then, as you say, I think that's a great way of putting it, that the rest generally will hopefully 
start to take care of itself or will start to take care of itself. It will, yeah. It just might take different time for different people. Yeah. Um, And I think, ironically, if you're thinking, oh, this isn't for me or it's not working, I think that's the time when you need to have more compassion for yourself. Yeah. Um, Perhaps actually almost double down your efforts. Yeah. No, it's true. Okay, cool. I'm just going to say a couple other things about oh, it. Gosh. Really briefly. <laughs> there we go. Strap in. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, for, I think first thing is that something that actually came up on one of Dan's podcasts um, is he said about this idea, because I think a lot of people, when they first perhaps come across loving kindness, they can think of it as, or it just can seem really sort of cheesy or, you know, just like this is never going to make any difference or, you know, it just sounds so... Um, awkward perhaps to say mm. it or you know feels very unnatural mm. but actually and I think as I say it was in one of Dan's podcasts I was listening to he said that he had a guest who made a really lovely comment and said if you can't get comfortable with cheesiness mm. then you can't be free so good and, that one yeah and let's not get too hung up on the old what that means to be free aspect yeah. but but the idea being if you you know if you can't get comfortable with that cheesiness then you probably are going to find it at times, especially quite difficult to actually really be kind to yourself. Mm. You know, it, it, you know, it's because being kind to yourself is perhaps at times just about moving beyond that, Mm. that awkwardness of, you know, of being, of of feeling like it's almost wrong or it sounds a bit weird to say this, Mm. you know, because I think at times it, it, it can sound very foreign because we just don't often relate to ourselves in this way Mm. um you know it like it it can rationally it makes a lot of sense because you sort of think yeah well it makes sense doesn't it be kind to yourself you know surely you should be your number one biggest fan um but actually when it comes down to it a lot of our moment day-to-day moments we're just far from it and actually we can be incredibly critical of ourselves And, and it can often also very much go under the radar but yeah. you know, but but under the radar in one sense, but not in another, because whilst it can go under the radar, maybe with you know quite subtle or or sort of um, brief, fleeting thoughts, you know, they, they do I think start to to add up over time, and they can take their toll a bit, you know. And as you say, if 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 you are able to start to become a bit more compassionate in your in your reactions and your responses to just each just various day to day moments. Mm. it equally adds up in a much more positive way and because you with your recent course you did is um you i think you were, you were a bit apprehensive weren't you about your your week where you were going to teach your your um disciples yeah. loving kindness disciples yeah, <laughs> yeah, your, yeah students. Your, your students loving yeah. kindness um but how did you go on you say how it went because well yeah no i was just a bit I think perhaps a lot of that came from my own relationship to that practice because I think I had such a turbulent start to it Mm. with relating to it in quite a cold way and finding it very foreign Mm. that I thought everyone else was going to perhaps experience the same. But everyone loved it. Mm. Like, it was their favourite. Love and kindness. Yeah. (laughs) But, no, everyone really, really loved it and found it very powerful Mm. Um, because I think it is and I think... Um, I think it is. it has potential to be a really transformative practice mm. and you know a lot of the all of the Buddhist teachings a lot of the sort of 
underlying messages that come out of all of these teachings from different traditions actually mm. are love compassion mm-hmm. and that that is this underlying message message and force of being human that binds us all together and that mm. can have the potential to heal and i think that we all know that on a on an intellectual surface sort of level um what in in that sort of way mm. but i mm. think that this practice can really help you kind of explore that feeling deeper yes that's and absolutely that's actually a really excellent point because this practice very much is about feeling starting to yeah starting to really experience loving kindness beyond just the idea mm. of it being a concept or a thought mm. you know we all, we might all want to be more compassionate to ourselves and more and more kind but actually Embodying times, that yeah. is very different. It, it can, yeah, and it can be quite tricky to do so without practice. You know, and that's again the idea, as you said earlier. This is a practice. It's about practicing being a perhaps a different way to you know relating yourself in a different way compared to what you've maybe done in the past. Mm. And and the more you practice, hopefully, the more the more familiar it becomes, and the more second nature it becomes, and more automatic. Mm. And it also, I think, becomes something that, with the practice, is so ingrained in your body, in your system, that it doesn't require that intellectual effort as much. No. It's almost like the body and the mind remember. Yes, definitely. Uh, it becomes imprinted it on, becomes your, on your sort of your way of being. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a way of being. You, you start to live in compassion. Mm-hmm. And can I just say quickly, <laughs> if <laughs> if we've got time, I think... An important thing to, and perhaps we can talk about this topic in another week, Mm. Um, but I think an important thing to know as well is that, like, because you're doing all those things, these things, and practicing all these skills and traits, it doesn't then mean that you're this sort of, you know, airy-fairy, lovey-dovey, happy-go-lucky person all the time. Mm. Like, yes, I think there's definitely been a lot of brain scans and a lot of... um, research to show that it doesn't meditation does increase people's levels of happiness reduces mm-hmm. levels of stress anxiety mm-hmm. and that compassion meditation can help to boost the compassion circuits in the brain mm. but it doesn't mean that you can't then get angry or you know things can't annoy you no, of course. because we're all only human but i think that that's something that i think i got a bit hung up on when i first started meditating was like almost trying to pretend that, like, things didn't phase me anymore, Mm. you know? And it's, oh, like, I'm this, like, perfect, you know, oh, oh, don't worry, like... Guru. Yeah, well, well, almost just, like, I'm so peaceful. Mm. But I think that, actually, that's, for me, I've come to realise that, actually, it's almost more about embracing your humanness and your imperfection. Mm. But it's about being aware of it. You know, it's like, yes, I'm a human, I get angry, sometimes I... But but then it's but then it's you move on from that, you know the mind doesn't linger on. But I think this is perhaps going slightly into mm. another topic. But I think my point with loving kindness was that because um, quite a few few sort of phrases I hear quite a few um, practice practitioners talk about is that they're worried it will make them lose their edge. Mm. Do you know? Have you heard that? Like yeah, Dan, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. says that, and I think what people mean people by that be- is like 
lose their kind of, you know... Competitiveness. Or... Yeah, because that's what makes them succeed, maybe at work or something. Yeah, a bit of anger drives them forward, perhaps, or yeah, a bit frustration. Of, yeah, exactly. It sort of, it, it fuels them. And I think the thing is, you don't lose that. It's just that you can relate to all those emotions in with a lot more distance and you can then have a lot more choice and freedom think, to choose if it's an appropriate response. Yeah, that's the key. So it, it enables you to have more choice. So mm. if you want to perhaps allow frustration to motivate you a bit more in a particular moment, you can. And it may be appropriate yeah. for that because, you know, you may be, have been undersold at work or, or someone may not be recognising the effort you've put into something and mm. and therefore anger or frustration or expressing yourself may may be the appropriate thing and that in itself is self-compassion because you're oh, actually yes, standing absolutely. up for yourself absolutely yeah um but at the same time sort of getting stressed perhaps or shouting at someone unnecessarily for for maybe a small thing that snowballed into a big a big, a big emotional storm within yourself. Yeah, perhaps the most self-compassionate thing is actually just to let that go and notice mm. it and let it let it drift on by. So, yeah, I think maybe next week we can talk about that or in future weeks about maybe how meditation can... One um, of the misconceptions of it. Yeah, misconceptions and how it can maybe... In, into like um not interlude I'm not sure in sort of how it interweaves with your personality and how it can mm. what it looks like I guess in day to day life yeah how 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 you can actually apply it mm. no definitely I think that's a very good point okay yeah. I think should we wrap up the episode here yeah I think we've given I think we've given the, the listeners enough to wet their appetite I think um, if people want to come back now they will and yeah. if they don't they won't. There's either some like headphones just sitting on the side, like playing this while someone's gone off. But anyway, um, yeah. So I don't, I haven't actually planned what we're going to talk about next episode, but I'm sure it will be something extremely insightful. I can promise you that. Yeah, probably to do with meditation as well. Oh yeah, but well, there's no guarantees. No guarantees. Yeah, it might be about like baking next week or something. <laughs> we'll see. Anyway. Thanks for listening, if anyone's got this far. Yeah, lots of love. Lots of love. Isn't Haynes. See you you next week. Bye.